Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 19 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a fresh leaf of a first show of the new year lined up for you today. The festive season is over for now. People are looking forward to the new year ahead and this is our first episode of this new year 2015. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you an interview with the hypnotherapist, hypnosis trainer and pioneer of a number of hypnotic-related therapeutic interventions, Mr. Terence Watts. Then I'll be looking at the hypnosis in the news, stories examining the media where hypnosis has featured. I'm going to offer up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Terence Watts this week. I shall be exploring his latest approach to therapy. We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. This podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times I have major differences in approach and leaning. Um, But all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly I have great respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments or make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. So, first up today is this week's interview. I'm delighted to be welcoming Terence Watts. Terence is a fellow of and founder and chairperson to a number of therapeutic and hypnosis organisations. The list is very impressive if you go and visit his website. He has authored numerous therapy books and audio programmes and many people regard those highly. He continues to offer hypnotherapy training through his school in Essex here in the UK. As always, I get excited about the prospect of speaking to people with such interest in these topics. So, get comfy my friends, turn up the volume, sip on your tea and enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm absolutely delighted to have with me today the one and only Mr Terence Watts. Welcome to Hypnosis Weekly, Terence. And I'm pleased to be here. Um, now then, tell us a little bit about how, how you got into this field. Tell us a bit, bit about your background and how you've arrived at where you are now. 
Well, I had uh, many different backgrounds before I became a hypnotherapist, uh, and that happened by accident anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, I was a dance teacher for years and years and years, but always explored the way workings of the mind, and I'd created a, a personality test which was designed to help people find the best career that they could, uh, which worked extremely well. But yeah. the trouble is I only had a dance teacher's qualifications and I thought I needed something a bit more to do with psychology. So having no money in those days, I scoured all the newspapers looking for um, adverts for a home study. And what I found claimed it was psychology, but when I actually got the, the booklet through, it turned out to be hypnotherapy with some psychotherapy. So yeah. after a few days consideration, I thought, well, it's close. So <laughs> I did that. Um, but very quickly discovered I was a bit of a whiz with it all and so the personality test, that particular one, never did get published but those people that know me know that I'm a, a great one for working with personality, it's one of my favourite yeah. areas. Yeah, and, and did, did some, of that, some of that earlier background influence and, and I mean is there still some of that influence within the way in which you work? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, as a dance teacher, you get to deal with people in a much closer way than. I mean, the only thing that is more um, close to the personality really is is hypnotherapy. Yeah. But, so, and I've I've always worked with people since the day I left school. So, and I've always been immensely interested in in the psyche. Yeah. Um, I was a computer programmer for quite a time as well, and that taught me how the importance of structure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should imagine there's a bit of a contrast between dance teaching and computer programming. I suppose <laughs> typically one is decide what one is considered to be quite creative, and the other one is considered to be quite logic. Yeah, there is there are, there are crossovers much more than you might realise actually. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, after after the number of years and the impressive career that you've had to date within this field, um, where are you at as far as hypnosis is concerned? That is, um, you know, how do you how do you explain it? You know, if you ever get cornered in the kitchen at a party, um, um, how do you explain it? How do you, or and do you have a, a working definition that you adhere to within your work? And perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at that definition too. Well, I usually say to people, well, it's just a state where the subconscious and conscious minds are focused on exactly the same thing, which allows information to be exchanged between the two far more easily than any other time. It's, it's a fairly concise description. It seems yeah. to satisfy most people. Yeah, yeah. And has that changed? Has it been the same? No, I, I encountered that when I was a new therapist. I've been in practice about six months and I hated the description I was given in my training, which was uh, a state of focused concentration commensurate with deep relaxation. That's a standard sort right, of Right, yeah, yeah. I never did like the relaxation thing. I, I'm aware that people are going to hypnosis when they're far from relaxed. So I, and I, I actually sort of, that definition just occurred to me one day when I was working with a client and I've used it ever since. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. So tell us, um, tell us a little bit about, about the, the influences that you have had um, um, within this field. Are there any books and authors that have taught you more? Have there been specific teachers that have been more influential upon you than others? And uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the reasons why. Well, the, the main one, <clears throat> excuse me, the main one uh, is not a popular choice for most people, but it is Freud. Mm. Um, not that I am a work in a Freudian manner, but I just love the way that he researched and researched again and then checked his research over and again. A lot of people don't realise how diligent he was. Uh, plus the fact he was, he was 
obsessive to the point where he'd keep going until he found what was for him a satisfactory answer to a, a conundrum. Mm. Um, so I know it's not a popular choice, but um, the psychopathology of everyday life and his introductory lectures one and two were three of my favorite books when I first started training. Yes. I read Elman's Hypnosis, as many people have, wasn't so impressed with that one. But I mean, I'm, I'm very eclectic. So in addition to being influenced by Freud to an extent, I also was impressed by Erickson. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't too keen on Elman. I don't like authoritarian styles of working. Sure, sure. But um, I'm, I'm, would you say that therefore you, you work in a more indirect way today? These days, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, and in fact, often the client will leave a session, although I see very few clients these days, but um, when they leave a session, they'll often say, we didn't actually do anything today, did we? And I usually just say, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Um, um, and and, and Freud, Freud, likewise, you know, is his influence still there within your work? To an extent, um, because in some of my later research, uh, these days research is far easier for everybody than it was for Freud, because he didn't have the internet, nor indeed did he have any books he could go to. Uh, so it's a lot easier and I realized that Freud's notion of subconscious wasn't necessarily correct but in its day, you know, 120, 130 years ago, it was the best there was. Um, and really the, the main influence on me from Freud is that there's a part of our psyche that does stuff that we haven't got direct control over. Uh, mm. And so working with that was always a, a cornerstone of my therapy. Mm, mm. Interesting, interesting. And so within within sort of many hours of therapy and within teaching and so on. Um, um, can you give us some kind of an idea as to what have been the more impressive applications of hypnosis that you've been able to, to witness directly? Do you know, I've been asked that question so many times, mm. um, but I, after 25 years and more than 35,000 client hours, I find it really difficult to answer. Yes. But the one that always jumped into mind wasn't so much impressive as amusing. And this was in the days when I had my dance school and yeah. I was working moonlighting as a hypnotherapist and as a dance teacher. And we used to have metal tests um, every six months or so. And so I used to get as many people that wanted to have hypnosis for confidence used to come in. Yeah. There's one guy that um, was determined. He was unhypnotizable. Um, he didn't much like the idea that his wife wanted to do it. So he'd come in and he'd sit there and watch while I hypnotized everybody else. Uh, I started working and he fell off his chair. <laughs> he was the first one to go into hypnosis and is so often the case into a, a very deep state. But whenever anybody says about impressive applications, I think it did impress me because this guy was so anti-hypnosis and so adamant that he, he, nobody could ever hypnotize him that within 30 seconds he was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, well, very often the way, eh? Yeah. Um, um, so... so if you could go back then um, to these to those early days when you were starting out within this field as a hypnotherapist, a hypnosis professional, knowing knowing what you know now and 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 over the the, the decades, would uh, would you do anything differently? And if so, is there anything or any advice that you would extend to uh, the younger you uh, that you'd also share with other hypnotherapists of today? Well, you know, I've, I've been very lucky because right from the beginning, the way that I worked just worked for me. And, and looking back, I, I really wouldn't change a thing. Even, I, I mean, as you know, I research and write books and so on. And there's been many projects that I've started which have not seen the light of day because they've turned out to not work as I wanted to. And yet, 
there's always something I've gained from them. So I actually wouldn't do anything differently. But what I would say to a young hypnotherapist today, and I've said to some of my own students, keep on searching for your own unique skill. You've definitely got one. Yeah. You might find it and you might not, but along the way you'll find all sorts of interesting things. So that's really what I'd say, to, and yeah. I do say to my students, yeah. just, just search for your own unique selling proposition. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Um, um, and tell us a little bit, you know, what are your thoughts about evidence-based approaches to <laughs> hypnosis? That's, a, that's something which... I always get slightly rankled when I read about evidence-based hypnotherapy because truly, if there has been a research project, and I haven't heard of it and I searched for it, you cannot claim something is evidence-based without actually running a formalized research project. Mm. And I think some people don't understand what evidence-based means. And what it really means is that in a formalized research project, comparing a model, which is like in this case hypnotherapy, with other models known to be successful, uh, you find that hypnotherapy is equal to or better than the other models. I don't know of any such research project. I, I could be wrong, but I, I don't know it. Uh, I have a feeling that people often say evidence-based as a marketing ploy, and the best meaning that I could think of is that they mean that people get better using the model, but that's not evidence-based. It might be solution-focused, but I, I really don't believe that you can ever have evidence-based hypnotherapy because you can't have fake hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy or placebo hypnotherapy to do the comparisons with. Mm, mm. So I'm, I've got quite a, a rigid view on it. I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. One day some of you might prove me wrong and I shall then capitulate. <laughs> what, about, um, what about, you know, the, the, um, do you consider that, um, you know, your own experience to be, to be evidence to you of it um, um, or, or of, of the approaches that you adopt, for example? Do you know, Adam, I've never been 100% certain whether it's me or my clients that affect the, the fix, if you like, that affect the, the release of symptoms. I've never yeah. been certain of that. I have a distinct feeling that sometimes if somebody just came and sat in front of me and they thought I was working, they'd get better. Whether yeah. I did anything realistic or not. Well, um, um, I think this is a really, really valid point that you make there because um, you know sometimes absolutely that you know just having a good working alliance with the person that you're that you're there with, even if you made poor therapeutic choices, um, 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 the person can can go on to get better. Um, um, so yeah, I think that's a, a really valuable point. Um, now, obviously, we, we're going to be talking in a bit more depth in a short while about um, um, and. An innovation and and uh, an approach that you are pioneering currently. Um, I, I mean, uh, among among several others that you have pioneered. Um, where can people go to learn more about your work, your approach? Um, there's two places they can go to. They can go to my um, site, which is it's full of information and sales. I have to say that's uh, www.hypnosense.com. Yep. And uh, the school site, which is www.essexinstitute, all one word, essexinstitute.com. Right, and we will put permanent links to each of those under today's episode. Um, um, now, with all of those things in mind, um, Terence, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back with Terence and to, to professionally discuss uh, a, a, an approach that he is pioneering in just a few moments. We'll be back with Terence shortly. 
Now, let's have a look at this week's hypnosis in the news. And to kick off the new year, this week, I'm focusing on just one single story in particular. Um, next week, I'll get back on with reviewing a variety and snippets and so on. Um, this particular story is featured in numerous media, store, uh, media sources. Um, I've chosen to look at the, the, the Telegraph's coverage of it um, um, initially. And their article is entitled, Woman Brings Boyfriend to Justice After Remembering Attack with Hypnosis. Um, and the subtitle is Zoe Dronfield Only Remembers Brutal Attack by Jason Smith in Coventry, West Midlands after she was hypnotised into reliving traumatic ordeal. The attack that the woman experienced was terrible, okay? Um, and it's good that the man was brought to justice um, but the way that hypnosis is portrayed within this story is inaccurate if you look at what evidence would suggest and tell us about it. Um, and I'll, I'll repeat points that I make um, and have made before. Firstly, um, a study by Sheehan and McConkie, 1993, that's been replicated. Hypnosis does not increase the accuracy of memory, okay? Hypnosis absolutely does not um, um, guarantee veracity of memory, and this has been proven time and time again. Uh, neither, and, and there's a, a study by Nash from 1987, again it's been replicated, neither does it foster a literal re-experiencing of earlier events. Um, furthermore, um, if you look at the study by Lynn and Nash in 1994, Hypnosis is not a reliable means of recovering repressed memories, but might actually increase the danger of creating false memories. Now, in the article in the Telegraph, Miss um, Dronfield states, I couldn't remember anything, but thanks to the hypnotherapy, I've been able to put my life back together and come back fighting. Now, this is wonderful for her, and I'm delighted. I'm really pleased that hypnosis and hypnotherapy is lauded in this respect. I suspect that the hypnotherapy helped in ways that are perhaps not directly obvious, perhaps helping her to relax and move beyond the sensitivity of the event in her mind. Um, the article states, her injuries and mental trauma from the attack meant it took hypnotherapy sessions to help her remember what happened on February the 2nd, 2014. Ms. Dronfield worked with cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist David Kilmurray a month after her ordeal and through their sessions was able to piece together what happened. She said, I was able to give evidence in court against Jason all thanks to hypnotherapy. I would not have been able to do that without David's help. Now later in the article the therapist is quoted as saying, Directly after the event, Zoe had no recollection of what had happened to her. It wasn't until later on down the hypnotherapy line that the trust built up and she was confident enough to go to parts unknown. We embarked on some regression to the event and the detail she remembered was quite amazing, even in and out of unconsciousness. Now then, um... Cognitive behavioural hypnotherapists do not really employ regression. In fact, psychodynamic approaches conflict directly with the very nature of certain elements of cognitive behavioural approaches. So I was surprised to read the therapist being labelled as such. Um, however, populating the notion that hypnosis per se helps to retrieve memories is misleading. Um, studies have shown, you know, studies upon studies have shown that hypnosis does enhance the volume of material that comes up 
and into awareness when being used in such a way. And it also advances the level of belief in that memory. Um, but as we all know, uh, memory is reconstructed. Um, um, you know, it's, it's not always a true account of what exactly happened. We reconstruct it through the perspective of who and how we are today, you know, with all our life experience and, and the filter that we have with regards to it. So again, um, um, potentially you run the risk of contributing to false memory, uh, you know, if, if you use hypnosis in this regard. Um, all this aside, is the issue of and potential for re-traumatization, a very real, um, a very real condition. Um, revisiting problematic and painful memories is a central component of PTSD, for example. So whereby the sufferer, um, the sufferer re-traumatizes themselves by repeatedly being exposed to the traumatic memory. Now, the particular lady in this story, she's making a good recovery, and that's wonderful news. But perhaps it's because she believes in catharsis and somehow healing her, and that she's had some justice as a result as well. I don't know for sure. But the way in which hypnosis is portrayed by this story undoubtedly perpetuates myths that have been scientifically disproven. Now, does that matter? Does that matter? I mean, the lady's recovering well according to the media coverage. So I'm not saying it matters or that it does not matter. It makes for an interesting discussion, debate, and it further highlights the lack of correct understanding about hypnosis by the media and shows how hypnosis makes for intrigue-inducing stories. Um, hypnosis is not used as eyewitness testimony or for forensic purposes virtually anywhere in the world today because the evidence against it is so damning. I wish Zoe Dronfield the very best as she moves forward with her life. Um, the Daily Mail covered this story as well, just with even more adherence to misconception. Um, so I've included a link to both newspapers' coverage of the story um, um, at the episode page on the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, if you'd like to hear me explain and lay out some of the major critique angled at the use of regressive techniques in hypnotherapy, then do go and have a good listen to episode 8 of this podcast featuring Mr Roy Hunter, whereby I explain that critique in a lot more detail. Um, as I said, links to all these stories um, are listed under this week's podcast entry at www.hypnosis-weekly.com. Next up, we have this week's professional discussion. Um, Terence Watts has a history of using hypnosis and hypnotherapy. In particular, he integrates hypnoanalysis and counselling skills into his work and training, um, as you can see if you explore his work. More recently, he's been championing and expressing his excitement about a new approach that he is pioneering, BWRT. The BWRT stands for Brain Working Recursive Therapy. He says on his website, this is probably one of the most exciting courses I've ever devised and within months of launching it in late 2013, literally hundreds of therapists were asking to learn it. It continues to grow and even has its own webpage. It is different from any other therapy you will ever have encountered. That's a claim you may have seen many times, but it is in this case totally true. It's not CBT, EFT, TFT, EMDR, hypnosis, NLP, DHE or anything else familiar, it's unique and it's BWRT. There ends Terence's quote. So I got to ask Terence some questions about this in this week's discussion. So here it is, this week's professional discussion with Terence Watts. <laughs>
I'm back now and joined by Terence Watts. Um, we're going to be discussing, I mean, certainly the years that I've been aware of Terence and his work, um, um, you know, I, I have been aware of, of a number of other things that he's pioneered and pushed and have been really highly regarded. Um, um, and uh, more recently, um, um, the, the, the latest approach that, that Terence is currently pioneering is something that we're going to discuss today, and it's BWRT. So, Terence, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about how this approach came to be, first of all, a bit of the, the backstory to it and history of it? Yeah, it's for about, I suppose, getting on for five or six years in total, I've been curious about the whole notion of, of subconscious, well, many more times and many more years than that, really. <clears throat> but I began to look at the notion of subconscious about five or six years ago and was aware that, that it's very difficult for a client to understand. It's very difficult for students to understand. We know it's a term that's used, but it's intangible. You can't visualize it in any way at all. Hmm. And I've, I've worked to try and find different ways of um, describing it. And about three years ago, I became, uh, I, I sort of dropped into the idea that it's probably a part of the brain rather than a part of the mind and played around with that, did a few experiments and everything and got some quite good results, but it wasn't very easy to define. And then one day I was reading a copy of New Scientist <clears throat> and there was an article in there about a man called Benjamin Libet, although some people pronounce him as Libet, yeah. um, where he'd done some research discovering that our brain starts to perform an action at least a third of a second before we are consciously aware of it. Well, obviously I was instantly riveted because this was... this gave me something I'd been looking for for ages. Yeah. Uh, and so I followed that up and I spent about a year researching different ideas on it and came to the conclusion that, yeah, most definitely, our brain starts to form actions, thoughts, and whatever happens, um, a third of a second at least before we are aware of it. So we're actually, we're actually guided by that part of the brain. We, f we follow along, we live a third of a second in the past, basically. And, and it was developed from there. Mm, mm. And so um, um, how was that then formulated into a kind of therapeutic approach? Well, what I wanted to do was to see if I could get into that third of a second. So I had to do a lot of research on brain work. And I, I mean, I needed to find out my particular personality. You can't do anything unless I can understand why and how. Yes. Uh, so I needed to find out the why and how of this. And after some time, um, I... I discovered that uh, how the brain is constructed of first of all the something called the reptilian complex which is ancient and part of the first uh, our earliest ancestors from 650 million years ago yeah uh, and then the paleomammalian complex which was about two and a half uh, sorry about 23 million years ago uh, neither of those parts of the brain have any form of awareness evolution being what it is uh, every impulse from the world and indeed from our bodies has to go through that part of the brain first but there's no awareness there the paleomammalian complex embodies the limbic system the fight flight freeze and emotional responses and it's only the much later part of the brain the uh, neomammalian complex which formed about two and a half million years ago where mm. there is awareness so all that happens is that we become aware when we do become aware of what's going on, it's been going on in the earlier two parts of the brain for between a third and a half of a second. And that's where BWRT seeks to get. It seeks to get into that neural thread that's going on before we're consciously aware of it. it it's, to me, it's a much better model than subconscious. Mm, mm, interesting. Um, so so it's, it's a way of understanding how we function as well as a direct application. 
It will. It, yes, it is. Um, it's a direct application as well because we, as long as we recognise what the brain is doing, if we can stop the process for a moment, which is what BWRT does, it actually it it, it pauses the process. Mm. It pauses the processing, I should say, yeah. and allows us to make quite radical changes enormously quickly. And um, I mean, you, you mentioned Dr. Libet, um, um, because you are you, you are working with him with regards to this, are you? Oh, sorry, with who? Um, um, with um, uh, no, not Dr. Libet, but you're working with with uh, an eminent psychologist he, in South Africa. Um, uh, yeah, Rafiq Lockhart. Yeah, he's um, a South African uh, clinical psychologist. When I first started working with him, I had no idea who he was. Uh, he'd studied BWRT on the first online course I ran. Yeah. Uh, asked me if we could have a Skype session, in which he told me he didn't think he was quite getting it, or um, I was not quite focused properly myself. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, because he, he couldn't make it work. Anyway, we did a couple of, of, uh, sort of sessions with it on Skype, and as he said, the penny dropped, and he realised that the problem he'd had was trying to make it be like some other therapies that he'd learned. Now, obviously, he'd been a, a clinical psychologist for getting over 25 years, yeah. and he'd men, learned many other therapies. When he realised this was vastly different and started applying it, his, his response was, was spectacular. He runs a, a clinic in South Africa, and he's now using it to the exclusion of all other therapies, which wow. is why he now became my research partner, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so you are engaging in some ongoing research with regards oh, to... Yeah, all the time. All yeah. the time. And yeah. we're, we're astonished at what it can do. Great, great. And so is it is it influenced? I mean, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier on. Um, you know, I, I have a copy of your Warriors, Settlers and Nomads oh, um, um, book, for example, and um, um, have read bits and pieces about some of the other things that you've that you've pioneered and de uh, developed. Um, have, have any of those other things sort of fed into this or is this completely separate? No, I, I think everything that I've done. Um, from the very beginning, when I started writing, as opposed to just being a therapist, uh, everything I've ever done has led towards BWRT, and I'm absolutely certain that I'll never be able to create another concept out of this. And Rafiq, as I say, this guy in South Africa, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He said there can't be anything better than this because it's the fastest, most direct, with the highest success rate. But when I look back at some of my early writings, my, the, the first thing I published was the Easy Quit Smoking program, which is still selling. And when I look at the structure of that, that actually seeks to get into that silent bit of the, of the processes. And uh, I laugh to myself when I look at some of the earliest scripts I wrote because they are all working at the same process. So it's the product of my brain. Um, so logically, you would expect that everything uh, it works in the same manner. Warrior Settlers and Nomads that you mentioned, that, that's, uh, again, it's an attempt to get into the bit of work that's happening before we're consciously aware of it. Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just making that connection now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's, it's, so it's it's a culmination then. Yeah, yeah, it's very much so. It's uh, and I think it is the the top end of it. I don't think I'll be doing anything else because there isn't time. I'm having to put every spare minute and every spare bit of time I get really into further research and writing and training. Yeah. See, I've already trained a lot of people. Training it only online at the moment. Uh, Rafiq in South Africa has trained it to many clinical psychologists um, because he is a psychologist. In yeah. this country, psychologists won't come to me because I'm not qualified as a psychologist. No. Um, but Rafiq has run live classes, classroom-based uh, classes in South Africa to great acclaim. 
Great. And in fact, when he showcased it to the South African Psychological Society's annual conference in November, he was uh, given 20 minutes, but they ended up with 50 minutes because people just kept telling him to carry on, to go on with it. So that tells Lovely. you something about it. Yeah, yeah. And so does it have a relationship with hypnosis? Not remotely. Um, the client may go into some kind of, uh, of spontaneous hypnosis, but we don't engender it. We don't use any hypnotic effects or um, attributes at all. It's, it's really completely different. Mm, interesting. It's, it's a form of psychotherapy, I suppose, but it's so quick. Yeah. Um, EMDR was reckoned to be a very fast method of trauma resolution. Yeah. Rafiq always used EMDR in his clinic, but he's now using BWRT instead. He said it's faster, he can use it for um, people, with people that are, what they call themselves, survivors of sexual abuse. It works incredibly quickly with grief and with all sorts of things. And as I say, we haven't found the limits of it yet. We're still researching it. Mm, mm. So, so from from a th therapist's perspective, it would end up being an alternative treatment, something completely standalone to what yeah, they already did, absolutely. rather than trying to sort sort of wedge it into what else they were offering. Yeah, it, it's it is a standalone therapy in much the same way that uh, EFT was. Although I'm not a great fan of energy meridian therapies and so on, and this isn't like that. It doesn't involve touch. Um, it's entirely it's content free. It's very much client based. It's completely non-directive. And when I first started getting fantastic results with it, I couldn't believe it. So I was looking for the flaw. I was actually looking for, for what must be wrong. But yeah. <laughs> eventually I came to the conclusion, well, this just works. And for the benefit of, of any listeners that perhaps don't know what, what, what you mean by that, um, non-directive and content-free, could you just explain well, yeah, that? Uh, yeah, th yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, the client doesn't have to tell us anything about their secrets or anything all we need to know from them is what's troubling them we need to know their symptom mm. as long as they can remember uh, a time or a period when that symptom was at its worst or if they can remember a time when they felt really bad with it that's all we need to know we don't put ideas into them we don't give suggestion what we do do at the end of a session we do a debriefing to see if what they've been working at has in fact been plausible possible and fair the, the famous 2pf test <laughs> yeah and so um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear that because uh, I always think that it's, it's a really lovely thing to do to, to, to measure the quality of the re reaction and the response and to feedback um, um, with some immediacy. And uh, that, 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 that forms a part of this. Well, we do what we call the PAL, the personal assessment, um, uh, uh, sorry, personal arousal level at yeah. the very beginning, how yeah. bad they feel with what they're remembering. And ideally we want it to be up at somewhere near a nine or a 10. And then we do the same thing after the process, which once you've learned how to do it, takes less than 10 minutes a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, and what we want is the PAR to be down at, well, often it's down at zero, but certainly three or less. Yeah. And so we've got direct feedback there as to the um, instant effectiveness. Mm. And so, and once you've had a session um, in a one-to-one -one format, um, is the client then equipped to be able to go and apply it for themselves and to themselves from there? Yeah, I mean, they, they can deal with that particular situation and they won't feel any response at all. It, it has a similar effect to that of hypnoanalysis, that once you've discharged the emotion surrounding a traumatic event, although we don't have to find the ISE, the initial sensitizing event with BWRT, but it has the effect that when they're confronted with that situation again, it is of, of no consequence. They're just completely at ease with it. Mm. 
uh, I mean, it's, it's a single session therapy, which worries some therapists from a business point of view. <laughs> but <laughs> a lady in Australia, one of the first ones to learn it, um, she says she's busier now than she has ever been and loving every minute of it because people have between one and three sessions. Often they come back because there's something else they want to sort out. But they have between one and three sessions. And because they've got better so quickly and so effectively they tell everybody and she says she's just got she's actually busier than she's ever been yeah yeah oh absolutely making people better <laughs> having good success absolutely. is the best the best way to d drive your business absolutely yeah. um, um that's fascinating stuff where where can people go and learn more about this um well there's bwrt.org www.obviously bwrt.org that's the professional site and uh, it's also on the Essex Institute site. Um, if they click on advanced and online training, it's the top one of the list of uh, programs there. Really interesting. Um, um, do go and have an explore of that, uh, those of you that are tuning in this week. And, um, um, you know, I, I, I've been and had a good, uh, a good nosy around it myself and shall continue to do so. Um, Terence, thanks ever so much for coming and being part of Hypnosis Weekly um, this week. Uh, and um, perhaps we'll have to get you uh, to, to get you back on the show at some point in the future to tell us how it's going. Yeah, I should look forward to that, Adam. And thank Great. you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. A link to Terence's website and the BWRT website um, is over at the Hypnosis Weekly uh, website, the page for this particular episode. Now then, this week's uh, Hypnosis Factoid. Um, what would be the answer if you asked Nicholas Spanos this question? Is hypnotic behaviour purposeful or non-volitional? Now, when hypnotized subjects are asked about their hypnotic experience, they're very likely to say that suggested behaviors happened by themselves or that they did nothing to achieve the suggested state of affairs, for example. According to the social psychological position of hypnosis, however, these reports of non-volitional experience should not be taken at face value. However fascinating and compelling this experience may seem, the hypnotic subject is actually mistaken in interpreting his or her behaviour as non-volitional, according to Spanos. The subject is simply not viewed as competent to judge whether or not behaviour is purposefully achieved. Instead, the social psychological position asserts that when hypnotic behaviour is consistent with the wording of suggestions, and when the subject reports any imagery or other cognitions that are consistent with the suggested state of affairs, the behaviour is regarded as actively, purposefully and volitionally achieved. Um, it's goal-directed, you know, regardless of how the subject experiences it. So, um, to quote Spanos and to, to round up our fact of the week, to quote Spanos from 1986, um, hypnotic subjects often report that their subjected um, that their suggested responses occurred involuntarily. According to the social role interpretation, subjects who make such reports retain control over their behaviour. Nevertheless, the wording of suggestions and other cues in a test situation leads these subjects to interpret their actions as involuntary. 
Subjects who interpret their responses as involuntary experience are actually experiencing them as such and reporting them accordingly. However, the fact that subjects may be sincere in stating that their statements occurred involuntarily does not mean that their statements are correct. Sincere reports of having lost control over suggested responses can simply be mistaken. So there it is. In general, it's quite clear from Spanos's writings what he considers um, that it is virtually impossible for purposeful, goal-directed behaviour to be involuntary. So, as always, I could explore this notion for hours, but heck, we have a brand new year to go and get on with, don't we? Um, for those of you who missed it, I announced the winner of our competition in the last edition of Hypnosis Weekly. Our winner, Richard Ingate, is now booked into one of my classes later on this year. In our next edition, I'll be welcoming Gemma Bailey. I interview her and we'll be examining her use of hypnotherapy and NLP with children. I have many more exciting guests that we'll welcome to Hypnosis Weekly in future weeks too. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. And to repeat, all the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and I'll make sure they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere else and really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks go to Terence Watts, my thanks go to you of course for tuning in and I wish you a happy start to the new year. My name is Adam Eason, this has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.